The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold through the gate, but gets in some other way, is a thief and a brigand. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the flock. The gatekeeper lets him in. The sheep hear his voice. One by one he calls his own sheep and leads them out. When he has brought out his flock, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow because they know his voice. They never follow a stranger, but run away from him. They do not recognize the voice of strangers. Jesus told them this parable, but they failed to understand what he meant by telling it to them. So Jesus spoke to them again. I tell you most solemnly, I am the gate of the sheepfold. All others who have come are thieves and brigands, but the sheep took no notice of them. I am the gate. Anyone who enters through me will be safe. He will go freely in and out and be sure of finding pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be honest. There's no... There's no um, well, it might make you feel a little guilty, but that's not really the point. Are you sick of me greeting you with Happy Easter? Are you sick of hearing the greeting, Happy Easter, on the 30th of April? Because if you are, in even the smallest way, it's worth examining where that agitation comes from. How could we be frustrated with Easter, of all things? It's like being bored of the restful streams where Jesus is leading us. No, that's boring. <laughs> Heaven, pretty dull. You know, it'll, it'll get old pretty quick. Three weeks we've been in Easter. Um, the reason I'm saying this is because I wish, I wish people this way. Um, we are in Easter after all, and, and the response has been less and less, uh, less and less matching the energy with which I've been giving it. Not that everyone has to be as energetic as me. That's not the point. We all have different personalities. I think it'd be unfair to expect everyone to, you know, put nitrous oxide in their engine all day long. But, but it's not about energy. It's about joy. Joy. And, and um, there's some things that, that really rob us of our joy. And I think we should be very, very attentive to what those things are. I was speaking to my spiritual director just a few days ago. And I was telling him, this is, this is um, a bit vulnerable of me to share. But I said, look, I'll be honest. I miss the rigor of Lent. Lent is a time where we're allowed to be, you know, zealous in our faith. It's expected. It's, it's demanded. But there's no real game plan for Easter, is there? It's like, hey, you made it. <laughs> Let your hair down, jump on the couch. It's Easter. It seems so counteractive. You know, why did we bother running the miles if we're just going to chuck out all the progress and the fruit we gathered? Um, and, and he affirmed me. He said, yes, Ashwin, it's true. People seem to understand very easily what Good Friday is about. It's, it's impossible to mistake the power, the, the solemnity of it. People seem to gravitate to the simplicity of Lent because it's all about our weakness. We know our weakness pretty well, if we're honest. But we don't really know what to do with Easter. What's, what's the proper response to glory? What's the proper way to celebrate? Everyone knows how to mourn. I often say I can be in a room full of atheists and we're at a funeral 
And I'll say, let's pray now for a moment for Stephen or for Jimmy or for Betty, who's gone before us. And a room full of atheists will bow their heads and pray because they're just ready, you know. Everything prepares them for that moment. But if we say, hey, let's celebrate the joy of the Lord, I think they'll be just utterly confused and and maybe at times we are as well. One thing that it might be is that perhaps deep down in our hearts, there's something in us that doesn't feel worthy to celebrate something that never, it never dissipates. You know, it never kind of fatigues and goes away. It's infinite glory, infinite joy, infinite wonder. And it's like, that's a bit too much for me. I'll get the, I'll get the other thing that's cheaper that I'm, that I'm worthy for. No. Jesus is welcoming us into something wonderfully glorious. Anyway, with that as a context, this is our Easter proclamation. Jesus, God has made Lord and Christ. The word Lord, it, it comes from the word um, loaf ward, which means, you know, bread keeper, bread giver. Um, and it's also associated with, with husbandry. Uh, when Israel had all these kind of false gods, the, the Baams, Balaams, I've forgotten what the word is, but, but they were kind of like illegitimate husbands to Israel as a nation. And God said, I'm your true love. You know, get rid of those, get rid of those loves that will never satisfy you and come back to me. Renew your, your partnership with me. And Christ, of course, means anointed one. If we've all been anointed, which we have, we're all Christ's. We're all sharing in the office, in the, in the ministry of Jesus now. They make this proclamation and the people respond, what are we to do? It's a beautiful, wonderful question, isn't it? Something is manifested in front of us. Okay, what do we do? It reminds me of the simplicity of so many other instances in Scripture where God has broken forth. We call it a theophany, when God manifests himself. And, and the people are so struck that they just ask, okay, you tell me what to do next because I, I don't know. Um, it happens here. It happens when Philips meets that Ethiopian in his chariot. And he says, what's to stop me from being baptized? Well, nothing. Go ahead. Think of Paul when he gets blinded on the road. And he says, who are you, Lord? All of these questions are admissions that we don't know what the next step is. Someone else is going to have to take the lead. And it's going to have to be a shepherd of some kind. It's an admission that we're sheep, which is our true identity with Christ. What are we to do? And the response they get has no ambiguity to it whatsoever. It's a clear, let's say, um, step-by-step procedure. Repent. Repent, it has the word in there, puenna, which is a kind of pain. If we turn to the Lord, there's going to be some disruption involved in our lives, in our hearts, in our affections, in the world around us. It's going to hurt. I think it's a little bit like how a doctor says, well, look, here's the diagnosis, and this is going to get a little bit worse before it gets a lot better. Okay. Repent. Be baptized. Again, this sounds far more radical than it might seem. Baptizere means literally to be immersed. So really, it says you must die and rise. You must be immersed into the death of Jesus. Otherwise, there is no way to rise into the life of Jesus. There is only one way. Then they say, receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In other words, 
you don't actually have within yourself everything required for the journey. You're going to have to come open-handed and God will lavish you with what you need and more. He says, my grace is sufficient for everything. The suffering, the, um, the awkwardness of not knowing where to go, the dying, the rising. So receive. This is not a, um, what we call a, a kind of Pelagian enterprise, you know. Um, Christianity is not about gritting your teeth and pressing forward as hard as you can. It's about trusting as fully as you can. It's also not about unlocking our inner divinity or some silly nonsense like that. This is not Christian belief. You're made in the image and likeness of God, absolutely. But you are made for partnership with God. Without God, we return to dust. It says they convinced the people with many arguments. Many arguments. In our modern culture, we might have a kind of phobia of argumentation because we think it's bickering. That's not what argument has to mean. I think argument is when people authentically lay all their cards on the table. Here's my case thoroughly unraveled. Here's the other case thoroughly unraveled. Let's honestly play the game out. And let's honestly see you know, how, the court, how the cards fall. That's good argumentation. And I think it was after much argument that the message started to make more and more sense. And it says they were convinced. Again, I know I'm breaking down a lot of words here, but conviction is a beautiful thing. Within the word conviction or convince, there's a little V-I-N-C, vince. It means victory. In other words, they were, they bought into the idea that a victory had been won and it was theirs to share in. So they said, cool, (laughs) we'll join your team. We'll be on the winning side. Um, They convinced them. This is a blueprint for living out the Christian life, really. Because think about it. All of us have suffered some kind of injury, even if it's just to our pride, by turning to Christ. There's a painful transformation that takes place. It's like the labor pangs. We've all had to repeatedly, maybe daily, die to self in little ways, in not so little ways. And sometimes it leaves us looking pretty demoralized in front of the world. You know, it's embarrassing. But we've risen from those little episodes punctuating our lives. We've all had to call on power, if you like. I feel like that's impersonalizing it a little bit. But we've all had to call on strength that isn't our own. Because ours just finishes pretty quick. (laughs) You know, we're very finite, and I think we discover that. And finally, we've had to somehow broadcast this by our lives to the world. Um, So this is us. This is where we are right now in the in the in the center of um, of Easter. Then we get to this idea of the shepherd, because in that very same passage in Acts, it says Jesus will call all to Himself from the world, and Peter even uses this kind of dramatic language: "Save yourselves from this perverse generation. Save yourselves from anything which hasn't entered into this pain, this resurrection, this this turning away from self and back to God, because." It'll be like a vortex that sucks you in if you don't categorically reject it. You know, we have categorical rejections, renunciations in our faith, and they're important. Without them, we'll still be sort of caught up in the, in the vortex. The word ecclesia, which is the word we have for church, it literally means to be called out of. Ecclesia, to be called out of the world and then into the flock, if you like. The world 
is this place where Christ finds us, but he doesn't just leave us there to wander around like stray goats. No, he calls us by name. We recognize the love and the peace and the joy in his voice, and we come running. So here's a challenge for us, really, because Jesus makes these very high claims, puts a very high priority on what he's saying here. He says, I am the shepherd. And then if that's not confusing enough, he says, I'm the gate. You know, like, that's pretty confusing stuff. But think of this. Jesus is the shepherd of the universe, you know, all that he has made. Um, Unlike other shepherds, he goes ahead of his flock to brave whatever we're going to encounter. So that where our brave shepherd has gone, the flock may follow, as we said in our prayer. Here we have to make a bit of a, a declaration to ourselves. Because there is to be one flock which includes every single person ever. There is to be. That's what Jesus desires, that they would be one, as you, Father, and I are one. There's one flock, okay. Well, how many shepherds are there? Because either there's one, or there's any number of shepherds. We all participate in the work of the shepherd, by the way, so we're all kind of shepherding. But ultimately, where is, or who is, the shepherd there might be one gate or there might be any number of gates and i think this is especially uh distasteful to our culture oh there's many ways there's many you know everyone is (laughs) that's not what jesus said somehow the shepherd has to gather his flock from everywhere so that they pass through the narrow gate struck me that Jesus really is the narrow gate thrown open on the cross. It's a narrow gate, but it's thrown utterly wide so that really the whole universe can enter through. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything extravagant by seeking him only because he seeks us with that same intensity, with that same devotion. Simply then, I'd invite us to hearken all the more clearly to the voice of the shepherd as he calls he calls each of us he calls all of us to hear him to pass freely in and out of the gate we pass in to come and gather here to to be fed to be nourished to be to nurture the interior life not just here but when we're alone at prayer as well we go in and we find the shepherd we go out because the shepherd leads us to gather his flock strewn far and wide